the DFIL Dialectic Hour will be a bi-weekly discussion of popular and scientific ideas in the philosophy of consciousness. So buckle up. Welcome to DFIL Dialectic Hour number one. I'm your host, Thomas Dylan Daniel, and today I'm joined by C.D. Demichio of Vagabond Magazine. C.D., how are you doing today? I'm doing really great. Yeah, I feel the good vibe as well, my friend. Um, that said, so let's go ahead and jump right into the content. This week, the book that we read was Determined by Robert Sapolsky. And if you follow my work on Twitter, you probably know that I've already released a review for this book. Determined or Not was launched on T2 World of, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago. And it got some reads and some people talking. And we've actually released a follow-up piece to it called Notes. Um, and, and so both of those are available. You can go get at those if you like. Um, and if you do, you should have a slightly better handle on what me and CD are going to be discussing this hour. But right quick, uh, let's go ahead and just jump into it. Who are we and why are we here? CD, you lead the way. Okay. Um, CD Domicio, I'm a, I don't know, an irregular person, I suppose. You know, I like to innovate in tech. I like to innovate in thought. I like to innovate in uh, life in general. And I'm very involved in the idea of uh, free will and determinism and who we are, where we come from, and where we're going, what we're doing. So this is right up my alley, Dylan. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, it's so good to hear. Um, yeah, I mean, really and truly, the, the same thing kind of applies to me. There, there's one difference, which is that I've been studying philosophy in an academic way for about the past, oh, I don't know, two decades or so of my life. And and so I've had a lot of exposure to this um I guess you could call it a, a debate, but really I, I prefer the term dialectic because I, I feel like there is a sense in which a debate is an event. And this is not necessarily just one event. This is many events that involve many different thinkers and, and just seems to kind of go on and on forever. And I'm not going to lie, I've gotten a little bit tired of it. So I, I do definitely have a strong position that is developed in in sort of my explorations over the years and it'll be really interesting and fun to unpack this um this week with you sir on the show and to kind of kick us off I, I guess maybe the best entry point is just this simple question do we have free will what do we think about this i'm of a really mixed opinion on this i believe that we don't have free will that determinism is basically like a clock the universe is like a clock and just like a clock as the wheels turn they go both go they all they all go to exactly where they're supposed to go but then i do believe that within that within that there is space for us to have free will so i come from a lot more um esoteric i think we could say or maybe even metaphysical or maybe um pseudoscientific background than I think you're coming at this from, Dylan. I've spent, you know, two or three decades and in delving into different religious cults and things like that. So that's that's a very different place than where you're coming from. So I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. And I love that you're calling it a dialectic and not a debate, because the last thing I want to do is debate with you. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't really want to get in a debate with you either, sir. But but I do say um you know, with with respect to the terms that you just threw out, I, I do like uh, esoteric and metaphysical. 
Um, I, I know metaphysical gets kind of a bad rap these days, but if uh, I was being completely honest about what I do philosophically, I, I, I would say that I work on metaphysics. And then so that's kind of the angle that I like to come at it from. But my methodology is, is highly scientific. I, I think that we need to ground our metaphysics in experimental data, you know, and then the metaphysics is sort of the, the set of core assumptions that come out of that experience of the external world and the internal world, because really, you know, it kind of takes both. Um, and, and so with respect to this free will dialectic, um, there, there are a number of different poles, and, and the main propositions that there are are we are absolutely free and everything is determined. Um, and, and so determ hard determinism, which is the viewpoint that's, that's taken up by Dr. Sapolsky in his work, is about believing that the universe is, like you said a second ago, just kind of like clockwork. If you knew everything that there was to know about any particular state of the universe, and you knew the rules by which that state could be changed into other states, then, according to hard determinism, you could compute any and everything that would ever happen. This is a thought experiment that's actually, I believe, close to 200 years old. It's known as the Laplace demon. And the idea is that if you were in this position, and if you did have these special metaphysical um, insights into not only one complete model of the state of the universe, but the rules by which that universe was able to change over time, then you would be able to know everything that had ever happened in the past and everything that would ever happen in the future. Um, there is a trouble with this hard determinist view, though, because we have a lot of information about the way many, many different things work, and it's not necessarily possible to compute, say, you know, even something fairly simple like the weather. Um, it, it just changes too dynamically for us to build a long-term predictive model that tells us what's going to actually happen. Instead, we have to kind of settle for this probabilistic approach, and it's like, okay, you have a 30% chance of rain. So are you with me this far, CD? Yeah, I'm with you. And as a matter of fact, I mean, years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I wrote a, a short story called The Laplace Demon. And it was about someone who was essentially every time he made a decision in his life that led to death, he was resurrected by the demon. I know that's not what we're talking about, but I do definitely have a fascination with that concept and the clockwork. And so the idea was that the demon was keeping things on track. So I'm definitely following what you're saying, Dylan. All right. Well, the, the second viewpoint is a little bit less popular these days with uh, with you, with me, and with uh, <laughs> um, with, with Dr. Sapolsky, who, who wrote the book we're responding to. But, but the view here is that Free will is real. Uh, we choose our reality. And you can get pretty radical with this particular view. Um, they're, they're, uh, have you heard of uh, The Secret? Speaking of metaphysics, there's just... It, yeah, <laughs> you know it, I have. Yeah, you know it's true. I've, I've heard of The Secret. I read it. I saw the movie. I'm, I'm not a huge fan, but at the same time, I, I think that there's some truth to it. Well, I, I certainly... Agree, because I, I think mental attitudes can have sort of a shaping um, influence on the way that we 
interact with the world, right? But on the other hand, if we're talking about a, a concept of the universe in which everything that happens happens inside of our minds and we're absolutely free to choose the life that we want to live, that seems to sort of evade some of the constraints of our environments in, in some sense. And, and so, so there's this alternative to the clockwork view, which is the, the libertarian view, which is we're absolutely and totally free to do what we want with our lives. And, and so if I was really trying to sort of compare and contrast these two views, there's a sense in which the, the, determinist, the deterministic position argues for things to happen far more regularly than they seem to actually happen. They, they should be far more predictable than, than they seem to actually be when we interact with the world. The, the libertarian position which, you know, the best example I can think of right offhand is, is the secret, you know, is this highly mentalist sort of view. Um, and, and it's not necessarily the case that everything is determined. We're not reacting to our universe. What we're doing is, is we're creating our universe. And, and in that act of creation, we can create exactly what we want. And so, you know, say, you know, you're, you're somebody in just a horrible life situation and you're deeply ha unhappy um, I, I think that the thing that's crazy here is that both of these positions sort of say the same type of thing, but they say exactly the opposite things, right? Like the, the secret person is going to say, you chose that unhappiness. You wanted to be unhappy. The determinist is going to say, there's no point to feeling unhappy about this because you have no control over what's happening in your life. And I think those are both highly objectionable viewpoints. So if we're probing a little bit deeper, we can find a couple of other views within this dialectic schema. You have the traditional free will view where, uh, you know, some, some things are determined, you know, some things happen, you know, there, there's no point in a game of pool. If the way that you hit the ball doesn't have anything to do with where the next, you know, uh, impact uh, leads. Right, so if if you break the, the the balls and they all just go somewhere random on the table, there's not much point in playing the game. You have to have some amount of determinism for this, right? But at the same time, you freely choose whether to play the game or not. Just like you freely choose which shots to try to take. This is known as the compatibilist position. I, I don't refer to it that way. I, I think of it more as just, you know, this is run of the mill free will. This is the base view. Um, and then on the other side of this, we also have the nothing is determined view. And I, I sort of just argued against it a little bit by introducing it as uh, part, of the, part of the free will um, slash compatibilism view. But, but the idea that nothing is determined, that the universe is completely indeterminate, um, has a little bit of support in science. People look at the way that our minds work and the way that our brains work. And they say, you know, conscious experience is fairly continuous, but it's somewhat arbitrary. Like, who are we to infer that we're actually the same person that, that we were when we were born? We don't have any memories of, of, of our birth. So, so who's to say that we're not being somehow tricked, that there's not some other story that we're not aware of 
um, that either explains it or that doesn't explain it at all. And this could be entirely random, and we could move from moment to moment, and it could seem to make sense, but deep down, it could all just be quantum weirdness that we interpret the way that we do because we don't really have any other options. And so the world and the universe, in this view, is just completely indeterminate. It's a very, very strange idea. What do you think about that? Well, I'm curious because, as I said, I, I have more of a composite viewpoint that um, and I'm curious where that falls if I describe it to you. Like, so my viewpoint tends to be more that the physical world is determined. The clockwork universe does function on clockwork. But what isn't determined is our reaction to it. Right. So uh, you have the reaction of jumping in the lake. And being upset that you got wet, or you have the uh, the choice of jumping in the lake and being happy that you got wet, and and you know I use that random example, but I think it's the same for everything. You get hit, and this is sort of where the secret plays into it. Like you get hit by a car, you can either be mad that you got hit by the car, or you can try to find the value in the fact that you just got hit by a car because that can't really be changed. And, and I feel like that's where the determinism comes in for us is that we're actually determining the future by our reaction to the present. And that's, that's where sort of the, the composite viewpoint comes in. So I don't think the, the future is necessarily set until we have our reaction to the present. Does that make sense? And, and where would that fall in the entire conversation that we're having here? Well, um, I, I, for one, just do want to say, yes, that, that makes perfect sense. And, and, you know, honestly speaking, like, if we're really being real about what the experience of being alive is like, I, th I think 99.9% .9 of people are exactly uh, in the camps that you just kind of described. Um, I, I, th I think our experience gives us great reason to believe that we have the ability to make choices free will. We freely choose what to do. Um, however, the universe is fairly deterministic. Most things are such that we are able to predict what will happen next with them. Uh, maybe, you know, deep advanced positions in, in chess are, are one example of a, a situation in which things are basically deterministic, but it's very, very difficult to make those right predictions all the time. And And so maybe... The universe is a lot like that, and we're, we're in a position where we make decisions about things to do. Those decisions are good or bad insofar as they bring about the ends that we're aiming to bring about, and at the end of the day, the question of how free you are has a lot to do with how well you understand what's going on around you and what you decide to do about it. Um, so, so that's kind of... I mean, honestly speaking, that, that's more or less the popular uh, sort of common sense view of, of what happens in the world. And I, and I think it's right. Um, but there are some interesting things that happen in the logic, because at some point, things have to stop being determined in order for you to have free will. And so at the center of this dialectic is this conflict. How far can we push the determinism view of the world before it destroys our ability to freely choose anything because we were in a situation one moment we made a decision 
which we think was conscious, but which actually, instead of being a consciously made decision that we freely chose, it could have just been that we had to choose that because of the way that things were at the instant right before. So, so there, there is this conflict, and it does seem important somehow to get to the bottom of it. Because at the end of the day, if we're all just sort of these behaviorist black boxes where you have an input, which is a particular state of the universe, and you have an output, which is the decision, and if you put that same input in, every time you're going to get that same output back out, then maybe our idea of being free is a bit more illusory it's it's not as real as we as we think and so so this is the case that dr sapolsky makes in in the book determined what what do you think about it does it does it change your view at all it's really hard to say i mean i'm i'm not sure that you completely understood the view that i was expressing because i look at the world and i see that the majority of people don't probably have that that viewpoint and so that's that's a kind of a, a big difference. You know, if I say that 99% of the people in the world don't think that way, and you say that 99% of the people in the world do think that way, I think we must not be talking about the same thing. Well, we're just talking about the common sense view of free will. And honestly, what it actually is, is more or less arbitrary. Um, it's, it's kind of beside the point. The, the, the big question that I wanted to put to you is just, does um, the idea that there is a point at which the the things that are in the world, right? So so if you had a, a lesion in your frontal lobe, you might have less capacity for abstract thought. You might develop a gambling problem. You, your behavior might change in these very per particular ways. Um, and we would say that your personality had changed at that point, right? And And so... At some point, it seems like you're no longer choosing what to do anymore. You know, uh, you, your biological machinery has uh, has been reduced in a sense, and you're no longer making these free choices about who you want to be and what you want to do in life. Um, it is that evidence that even when things are going well, we're actually more determined than we think we are. It certainly could be, I guess, is as, as close as I can answer to that. Um, you know, I, I don't think we're ever going to reach a point where I say that the world is completely deterministic. And I think we have to be OK with that. Well, on that, sir, uh, we, we, we most certainly agree. Um, <laughs> I, I do. I do think that we've done. I don't know, about as much justice as we can to the, the current philosophical literature. I, I referred to it in my book review as a dung heap. And the reason that I chose that particular uh, phrase is because there's a lot of it and it's out there and it happened <laughs> and, and there's not much we can do about it. But at the same time, it's not necessarily the best smelling uh, place for us to go, you know, in search of the answer to our questions about what we are, about how much of our biological process that we embody 
you know, is determined and how much of it is being chosen by us. Um, and, and so I, I think maybe the thing to do next is, is sort of change gears and, and let's, let's look away from the free will determinism dialectic. And the reason we want to do this is because there's a lot that we're missing if we continuously just choose to ask the question, am I free? Um, and, and so one thing that's important to do here is to give it a quick look. Um, the question itself, am I free or am I determined? Um, in, in some sense, we're assuming some things. We're assuming that we know what the word free means. We're assuming that we know what the word determined means. And we're assuming we know <laughs> what the word I means. And those are all assumptions that are probably founded to some large extent on perfectly good rational foundations. And yet, there is a problem with the word I that comes from cognitive, or excuse me, this line of reasoning is based in cognitive science. And Dr. Sapolsky's book does a great job of opening this up. And even though he doesn't go the way that I would have really liked him to, with it, I nonetheless think that he has set us up to have a high quality conversation about this. And and so it's it's been super exciting seeing the results that the essays have gotten and stuff. It really has been. It has been. And and I, I just for me and for others, I mean I read, but maybe in a very brief way you could sort of summarize uh, Dr. Sapolsky's viewpoint on that um, and also where you would have liked him to go with that. I think that would probably make this conversation really, really flow. Well, sure. I mean, we, we've already more or less done justice to, to his view, which is just, hey, if you break a brain, if you hurt a brain, you see that that brain can't do what it used to be able to do. And so we know the, the brain can only do what it can do because of the neural machinery that it has, right? And, and so this is why he thinks we're determined. Is he a hard determinist? He says so in some places, and then other places he kind of shies away from it. So in, I don't know, in part, I guess, Sapolsky believes everything, including us, is clockwork. And he also is kind of okay with us just thinking we're a lot less free than we think we are, right? Okay. Yeah. So the the, the point from cognitive science is is different, right? There, there's a there's a different thinker. I actually just launched a blog post about a book that he wrote called The Strange Order of Things. That's right. I'm talking about Dr. Antonio Damasio, neuroscientist of UCLA. He's been working in the field for probably close to 40 years at this point. And, you know, I mean, he's a legit guy. His, uh, <laughs> his works include uh, a book called Descartes' Error, in which he introduces an idea called the somatic marker hypothesis, which is basically just that feeling and rational thinking are much more closely related than we've given them credit for in the past. And I can personally say that I've seen that in a textbook now. You know, um, this is a guy who has been there. He's been putting in the time. He's been making the effort and he's been getting popularity for some of these concepts that do go against things like dualism. Uh, so, so, you know, mind body dualism. 
is, is the idea there. And there's a very interesting question about what I am <laughs> in each case, you know, for you, for me, for Dr. Damasio himself. And, and this question is, what are we? And, and he, his answer to it is, is just the most amazing thing. It's, it's been really, really wild reviewing his literature for all these years and, and seeing how this has developed. Because in his view, what we are is bodies. And each one of us is composed of about 37 trillion different cells and probably 100, billion, or 100 trillion different microorganisms in our guts and everywhere else. And somehow, all of this stuff gives rise first to feelings, and then to consciousness, and then finally to self-consciousness, which is the point at which the mind develops the I. And I, I mean I like the, the single letter, the I am, that Descartes put together. And, and so now we have access to this question, what am I? And I would say that this seems like a much more interesting place to dig in than the question, am I free? What do you think about that? I find both questions to be fascinating. So if, uh, if you'd rather dig into what am I versus am I free? I'm happy to, happy to do that with you. Let's, let's take that journey. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, I, I, I think we're probably going to have to, I don't know, curtail it and, and put some of this into the next episode, perhaps, of the of the Defil Dialectic Hour. But I do think that there there are some assumptions built into the question, am I free? Um, let, let's look at two of them right quick. The, the first is that I can be free. And the second is that I know what I am, right? I'm, a, I'm the type of thing that can be, quote unquote, free. Um, and, and so... There's a line of questioning that goes back to the philosophy literature. What am I free to do? Well, I'm not free to break the laws of physics. I'm not free to live a hundred years without ever eating or drinking anything. I'm not free to continue living if I stop breathing. There are certain injuries that will curtail my ability to do certain things as well. So in even the sense that I am the most free that I can be, there are limitations. And these limitations are not necessarily always made clear in the literature. Um, we, we even have, uh, anyway, uh, we, we don't necessarily have to go there right now. Um, if we take the question, am I free? And we study the limitations that we find there, I would argue that we would get somewhere very, very similar to where we're at right now with cognitive science. We, we, would, we would begin to investigate the brain. We would see the various different places in which we can observe what happens and make predictions about what will happen next and make high-level inferences about why that thing happens where it does. And that would be maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe the best uh, sort of outcome of, of this line of reasoning. However, I still think what am I is a better question. And the, the reason I think that is because at the end of the day, if we don't know the answer to what am I, we have a very, very difficult time coming up with an answer to am I free? 
I think uh, Dan Millman in in The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. I don't know if you ever read that. It's a hippie book, but um, he he basically poses that question in a different way. He has this guy Aristotle, who's this guy's teacher, that um, that asks, you know, where are you? And the guy doesn't know where he is. You know, ultimately he says, well, I'm in this town. He's like, where's the town? Well, the town's in the country and where, 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 you know, where. And he's on the planet, in the solar system, in the Milky Way, in the galaxy. And and then he's like, but where's the galaxy? And and finally it ends with, you know, Aristotle saying to him, well, if you don't know where you are, how can you actually know anything? And it's a little bit just like the thing you just posed. Like, if you don't know what I is, then how can you actually be sure that you know anything? including determinism or free will. Right. Yeah, it, it all comes back to where you are. <laughs> oh, man, that, that's great. Um, so, so is this Aristotle in, in, like, the sense that we're doing historical fiction here? I, I have not read the book. Or is it like a, like a uh, what do you call it, a cameo? No, it's more like just a, a spiritual teacher. I think his name was Aristotle. It's been, you know, decades since I read the book. But I think I think he's like just a random spiritual teacher, but his name happens to be Aristotle. Um anyway, it's it's a it's a great concept though, and it it seems to really apply to what you just said. Yeah, yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's all about you know, uh it, it's like these webs of meaning, right? You know, and you, you can you can pick them up and, and use them even if you don't necessarily trace them all the way back to the source and even if they're not completely uh, in sync with with everything else. But but if you ask me, the, the trick to doing metaphysics well is being able to go back all the way to the bedrock for pretty much every concept that you want to deal with. Um, and, and so this means, you know, etymology, this means how other people have used it, you know, and, and then this means obviously stipulative definitions like we learned back with Socrates, you know, just uh, agreeing among parties about what terms mean before conversations are held. And so, I don't know, I, I think there is, uh, I, I think there's an unlimited amount of stuff for us to talk about here. And that's exciting because I really like to talk. But um, I, I also do think that well, I mean, at the at the end of the day, the the question has to come back to what matters, and and I th- I think that the things that matter the most are the things that when we learn, uh, they give us more control, and and so I, I would say that you know learning what I am for me and what you are for you, um, is probably. I don't know. I I want to say it's probably more foundational than than any particular property that I or you could have, right? Like, like if we learn the foundation first, we're, we're in better shape the whole, uh, the whole way through. Yeah, that's well said. Um, and I just realized too, that it, it wasn't the guy's name in the book wasn't Aristotle. It was Socrates. So for anybody listening who actually has read that, um, and it's not Socrates, the actual Socrates, but, you know, you would think with asking questions like that, it's pretty clear that he's probably modeled on Socrates. Yeah. Yeah, that's fan- fantastic. Yeah, the the uh, so- Socratic method of of, think- of questioning is known as the Olympus. And, and it's kind of just, you know, why? You know, but but it's, it's a little bit more than that. Um, I, I would say it's kind of the art of using the why 
to to guide someone somewhere. You know, it's it's you're actually you're kind of a spirit guide if you're if you're using the Alinkas. And anyway, so 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 yeah, so so we've kind of covered the bases here, and we've gone through this, and we've kicked the tires, and hopefully this is going to turn out to be an enjoyable show for everybody. But I, I honestly think that, that we did most everything we really wanted to do. And maybe it's time to, to get ready to wrap it up. What do you think, CD? I'm okay with that. But I wonder if I could just ask you a couple of questions um, just to sort of ground me in where you're coming from against mm-hmm. where I'm coming from. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. The first is one of the things that I've studied and, and used through the years is neurolinguistic programming. And I wonder what's your take on that? I mean, Tony Robbins, like, it's it's a little bit true. It's a little bit false. I, I think some people put way more stock in it than I personally would. And there, there are some people out there who probably write it off a lot quicker than I personally would as well. Um, do I use it? No. Do I really believe in it? Mostly no, but have I known some real estate agents who were extremely effective with it? I certainly have. <laughs> it's. I think that's not the NLP that I was thinking of, but I, I love that it went there. Um, and I also like your. I like your openness to the possibilities of it. That that means a lot. You know, it means that we can communicate about it without, you know, having having these like closed-minded debates. And that raises the other question, which is. And this one, you know, you may choose just not to answer this one. But personally, I believe that there's some force greater than us in the universe, some intelligence, if you will. Like, you know, I don't like to use the term God, but I do believe that there's something that um, I don't want to even say watches out for us. But do you believe in something bigger than us, like a greater intelligence than us or just uh, like clockwork and the universe started and here we are? You know, I, I think there's a hell of a lot that nobody understands anything about. Um, <laughs> and I know that's kind of a non-answer, so so I guess I'll give you a little bit more and just say that I would argue that a thing that is bigger than me is us. Um, and do I believe in us? Yes, I believe in us. I, I believe in us as in you and me. I believe I believe in us as in PageDAO. I believe in us as in the Web3 uh, literary community the Web3 community more broadly, and, and the human species even further beyond that, you know? Um, and then, I don't know, uh, if, if I really wanted to get to a higher power, I, I think the thing that I would start to point to would be collective human intelligence, which when practiced in culture and when practiced in language uh, can lead to... I mean, who knows what, right? I, I don't think we get to the type of God that, you know, the uh, the monotheists believe in. I, I don't even really think we get to to, to gods in general, you know. Uh, but but I think that when you combine a bunch of people together and the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, you, you may end up in a situation where you've got more than you thought you were going to have. And I, I, I would be really interested... To, to press forward a little bit further along sort of that dimension of it than, than I would be in, in getting religious or, uh, you know, any of that stuff. Um, what do you think about that answer? I'm with you. I like that answer. I mean, yeah, it, it really aligns actually, you might be surprised, with very much what I believe. You know, I, I believe that the whole 
essentially, is something that we can't conceive because of our, you know, sensory limitations, but that the whole is actually greater than the sum of the parts. And and that's sort of what I'm talking about. It's why I avoid I avoid the term God and um intelligence even is problematic. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty satisfied with that with that answer. It doesn't it doesn't offend me and it doesn't put us in opposing camps where we're arguing back and forth about something that neither of us could possibly know. Well, in that case, I guess maybe uh, maybe, maybe that works pretty well then. All right. Uh, and, uh, I, I guess I should ask, are there, are there any further? I think that's probably good. I mean, I, I think we, uh, we covered a lot of ground. There's a lot for people to think about here. And there's a lot for people to to hear and listen to. You cracked me up at one point when you said, uh, and we have a lot to talk about, and that's good because I like to talk <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I thought that was, uh, you know, that was a very funny statement. But um, I look forward to having an audience participation and having other people here so that they can, you know, hold us both accountable and, and ask questions and, and also let us know when things aren't clear so that we can, you know, nail things down to a, to a finer point. But for now, I feel good about this. How do you feel? If you feel great, just close us out. <laughs> but I kind of feel like we maybe didn't cover quite enough. Maybe maybe we didn't go quite deep enough. This show is is going to be a fairly intense endeavor. And and so I'm a little bit, I don't know. I, I guess the, the best way to put it is just that I'm excited to, to, to dig right in and, and, and see where we can get from here. Well, it's definitely not going to be for everybody. That's that's for sure. Like, not everybody is going to grok. Oh, I can't use that term anymore. I think Elon Musk ruined it. Not everybody's gonna gonna you know want to dive into these concepts and ideas, or even you know consider where their own viewpoints might be on them. In the prep for this, you said that free will versus determinism is a little bit of a weak sauce argument. And I wonder if you can close us out with your thoughts about that and why that's the case. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so, so the, the problem is that when we talk about free will and we talk about determinism, we're, we're dealing with concepts for which we don't necessarily even have a good definition, much less just a ton of evidence to support. And, and so when we look at the, the alternative question that I, that I posed uh, briefly earlier, the, the what am I question as an alternative. The, the hope is that by getting away from the free will, by getting away from the determinism, what we're able to do is we're actually able to really take a step back and actually get a new perspective on what we each are. Because in a way, each of us is determined. And in a way, I think we could still definitely argue that each of us is a little bit free. And and so the, the question may, you know, turn out to be, what is agency? And how do I develop my own agency to a, a greater extent than it's been developed so far? Um, and, and so that might be one case in which we could definitely see a big benefit from studying this issue and studying these concepts in the language of the cognitive neuroscientific field and not in the philosophical field of the free will determinism dialectic. So, so we just get out and it's like we take the blinders off and we can pull in more information, we can have new ideas, we can build more effective views. And really, I think that's the thing that we want to try to do here at the Defil Dialectic Hour as well. So if we're able to create this community and get people writing and get 
a sense in which this show is a weekly meetup for a community of people who care about these issues to come together and have a condensed conversation that can then be recorded and shared later. I, I think we can have a very powerful multi-person community that works on particular issues in the contemporary philosophical and cognitive uh, cognitive, excuse me, fr frameworks so that we find the evidence, we read, and then we synthesize together. And so what we're creating is something like the Vienna Circle. Um, and, and so it's like this, this movement of, of these thinkers who can come together and, and produce something together. And really, why do I think so strongly that this is a good way to spend our time, CD? Well, I think it's because that could be a productive, valuable, and fun experience for everyone. You know, we're, uh, we're doing a writing contest on, on Twitter as well. So, so I've, I've put a bunch of essays up, and I've, I've made a rule, which is if you write a response, a long-form response to one of these essays and publish it with our, our PageDAO partner over at T2, I will use PageDAO's Read Me Books, NFT book mentor, to mint a copy of that essay and send it to you. So you'll have an NFT you can only get by participating. And that, that's just a, a default project. I, I feel like, you know, we'll see other people, you know, doing this if they like. And, you know, I freely encourage everyone to steal this idea if they want. Thank you so much for listening to the first ever default dialectic hour. It's been a lot of fun talking through these concepts at a higher level. And it's been a lot of fun having a conversation with my co-host CD. We'll see you all after the start of the year. Thank you.